Hey, community fans, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, consider backing me on Patreon and becoming a patron uh, for as little as two bucks a month. It is really helpful for me uh, to keep things going and uh, keep the podcast moving forward. Thanks. Bye-bye. Can we do some questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got, like, as I said, it's a bottle episode. <laughs> Everyone on Earth is in a bottle episode right now, so I have nothing going on. Awesome. Well, then then we have some time for um, the copious amounts of questions um, about uh, your most famous episode from Community. It's uh, in my top five, um, and uh, and I just love it. I think most people would put this really, really high on their list, and, and uh, we thank you for that, first of all. Um, so, yeah, it's really great. Well, thanks. It's, it's very special to me because it's literally my first episode of television cool. that I ever had my name on, so... It's um, it's it's good to peak right at the beginning. I hear. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that's good. Um, so let's, uh, yeah, let's get in some questions. I tried to put these in some kind of semblance of order, um, so that we don't, and then filtered out, um, you know, any anything that was repetitive but um so uh, dean zach this is actually coming from the discord chat i don't know if you're aware there's a discord channel for the kids um and uh but they they ask questions i go on and say hey i'm going to talk to so and so what do you want to know and this person was um said that uh, was this uh, cooperative calligraphy intentionally written as a bottle episode and if so how was that decided and how does how do you write like a bottle episode compared to a regular episode um it was definitely intentionally written as a bottle episode i remember very uh, early on in the second season um which is my first season on the show um i remember harman talking about wanting to do a bottle episode uh, i think his feeling was that in the second season, we want to be showing all these new tools in our tool belt. And one of those things, I remember him having some analogy about like the showing that we have the power of an elephant, but that that elephant can pick up a feather, mm. you know, like meaning that we could do everything with this show. We could do paintball. We could do big uh, action sequences, but then we could also do really small, emotionally based character nuance driven episodes. And so, um, he started talking about wanting to do a bottle episode, which I had never heard of when he started talking. That was definitely one of the things I ran to the bathroom and Googled. <laughs> um, but I thought as soon as he brought it up and started talking about wanting to do one, I thought, Oh God, I hope that that's my episode because um, that seems like achievable in the sense that I had never written an episode of television before. And I thought, and this is just blind confidence, I guess. I thought, well, that seems easier in a way because there are fewer vari variables. So we're just in one room and everybody's together. There's not like a bunch of different scenes or, you know, anything I'm going to have to track like that. It'll just be dialogue based. And so I, I was just like, that's the one I want from the first time I heard him talking about it. Um, but I didn't say anything to him about it. I don't think. Um, and it happened that as I was coming up in the, uh, in the order they sort of there's like a batting order essentially where they go from the top to the bottom uh highest ranking writers to so the lowest ranking and i just happened to come up eighth hmm. i think and so when i was when i knew it was i was up in the process i think then i said hey i wouldn't mind having a taking a stab at the bottle episode because i thought that sounded really cool and uh i remember dan being like yeah um you know, there should be like kind of explaining like how you break a bottle episode. He was like, there should be, you know, nobody leaves the room. There should be a real reason why they're stuck there. Don't make it that they get locked in because that's like cliche, you know, so make it like a real reason that they have to stay there, that they're sort of drawn together. Um, and I don't he was like, you just have a like a MacGuffin that people have to care about. So I don't know, like somebody stole a pen and then he like left the room and it was like, do you remember there's a Simpsons episode where I think it was about an itchy and scratchy writer's room where one of the, 
one of the bosses is like, come up with a name for this new character. I don't know, something like Poochie, not that, but whatever. <laughs> and he and he leaves. And then the writers turn to each other and go, so should we call him Poochie? Yes. Like, um, <laughs> that was basically what happened was that everyone was like, so Pen, that, that's good, yeah. right? Like, because um, none of us were stupid enough. Like, and that's a real tip for anybody that's working on a show. When your boss says something like this, it's, it's okay to just take that <laughs> suggestion <laughs> um, because that's the one he's going to like. Nice. So, so we we went okay cool um it's it's a bottle episode it's based on somebody losing a pen um and i remember uh being in the room with chris mckenna for this episode and and i believe hillary was in the room as well but you know those memories are all real foggy um but uh definitely i like I realized very early on that the tricky part about bottle episodes are that you have to will a structure onto them. And this is actually very interesting considering the global pandemic that we're going through right now. So I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like the biggest, the hardest thing is that your day is structureless in a way. There's no outside thing that's forcing you. A lot of people, I, I should say, a lot of people have children and they are imposing a structure, but even then you have to impose that structure upon your kids because oh, yeah. they're not going to, to a separate building oh, yeah. and and doing so the problem with bottle episodes is that you have to impose a structure onto them and you have to make it a structure that the audience can not only follow very easily but also one they care about so they have to believe the stakes um because the moment that they just start feeling like these people are staying in a room just to do a bottle episode um it's it's sort of lame and like people get bored um so i never wanted anyone like kind of leaving the room and going out for popcorn because they were just kind of like uh, i guess they're just all sitting in a room and talking this is lame so you kind of have to like figure out what your stakes are that are like interesting enough to keep people sticking around to listen to all of it um so we definitely spent a ton of time trying to figure out what was the best structure to roll people in sort of 12 angry men style so that we could believe that like everyone started caring about the pen and we, and we as the audience could believe that they cared about it and we knew why they cared about it. Um, and we didn't want that to just be because Annie cares about it. Although I will say we, we picked Annie because we were like, who would care about this from the beginning? And it yep. seems like she's just a person that would really care about this. So we needed one person to be, from the very beginning, like, this is an issue, just like 12 Angry Men, there's one person that's like the holdout that's like, no, we should be focusing on this other thing that you guys aren't paying attention to. So that's Annie at the beginning. And then we had to figure out like a structure by which all the other characters get rolled into also caring about it. So Jeff and Abed hate it from the beginning because Jeff is like, this is stupid. Why are we, why are we, I have a date. I don't even want to be here. And Abed doesn't want to do a bottle episode. So Sorry, Gwenifer. It was... Yeah, sorry, Gwenifer. <laughs> I know. Um, and and Abed was just such a great character to have in a bottle episode because Abed was sort of the voice to the meta-ness of why don't we just leave the room? Mm. We are all like the audience is thinking that and it's nice to have one character that's saying that like there's one character that's going this is stupid and boring why don't we go do something fun like a puppy parade <laughs> instead of this and so so once we found those two like foils for annie it was just a matter of getting other people rolled into yeah. it that would eventually kind of like snowball into everybody caring um so that was the difference i would say between breaking that episode and, and another episode is a lot of the other episodes are structured by first of all a and b storylines also so you're bouncing back and forth between two different stories um that imposes its own sort of structure but also you're leaving places you're going other places you're meeting different people and all those things give a structure to the thing that you're doing um so all of those we had to create with dialogue but i love that because i think when done really well it's um just as compelling as big action sequences and everything else. Um, and also I just knew that the cast was so good that there was never, there was not one weak link in the whole chain. So I knew that all those people trapped in a room together were going to be funny. Yeah. You watched the pilot. I mean, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I ranked the pilot really high on my, my list because from that very moment, you, you have this, it's a, bottle episode in ways that where they just you know yeah. they do leave the room but it, you know you have this bouncing off you know uh jeff and the, you know giving a speech and and you know you have that as a template and um yeah 
So I'm sure it was easy to write, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was really fun to break. Um, I know I saw one of the questions was somebody was asking about the ghost and how soon that came up as far as like the break. And I will say that was before. So a lot of change from the writer's draft to the final draft, but the ghost part was part of it from the beginning because whenever we sold a story to Dan um, and whenever we got something that was good enough to go off to draft, we had to sell him on a story embryo, which I know other people have talked to you about. And there are certain points of the story you need to have in order to, be considered to have like a story embryo that's worth, you know, going off and writing. And one of those is the sort of atonement with the father uh, part of the story, which is basically what are these people reckoning with and how do they get out of it? You know, it's sort of the atonement plus the, I think it's called like the return, um, which is the next moment in the story circle. And so we knew that, we knew that ultimately how the pen was stolen didn't matter because you're, that's not what people are invested in. They're invested in the, in the study group and whether the study group is going to be able to survive this or not. That's why once we started rolling everybody into caring about the pen, they were based on their emotional relationships with each other. So Britta gets rolled in because they suspect her first. Cause of course they do. And then she dumps her bag and she's embarrassed and everybody laughs at her. And then she's like, well, one of you stuck around and let this happen to me. And you said that you were my friend and how dare yeah. you. And so we understand that her investment then is not based on a pen, but isn't based on the fact that she thought these people were her friends. And so we, we make, I mean, Annie says that at an early point, it's not a pen, it's a principle. And I think that that was like the core of this episode was like, at the beginning, it was a pen, and then it becomes a principle. It becomes like this thing that stands for like how much the study group really cares about each other and loves each other and trusts each other. And once it becomes that, then it's like, then people care about it. So solving that issue of what does the study group do once they realize that they don't trust each other anymore, that, that, that on the other side of this day they've spent together is like maybe the breakup of the group and, and how do they get past this? And we needed a way out. And once we sort of figured out that the way was, kind of the same thing that had gotten them into it. And that's what's so great about the story circles it has a kind of symmetry. The reason that they all get invested is because they thought that they were all friends. And so when one person turns on another, there's a certain amount of hurt there of like, I thought we were in this together. I thought we cared about the same things. And then that's ultimately what saves them on the other side of it is that they're sitting there. They, they realize they can't find the pen and they're sitting there naked. They've now redressed, but they got completely naked with each other in every sense of the world word. And now there's nothing left to look for. They know the pen isn't anywhere. Um, and they're just still sitting there. And even the door is like open though, that shot where you come in for the third act and like, you see them all just sitting in the middle of all this pile mm -hmm. of stuff. That's like all over the place. And they're sitting, there's nothing preventing them at that point from leaving the room. Nobody's accusing anybody anymore, or like mad at each other. They're just sitting in the sadness of like, this is it. Like we can never trust each other again. And once Shirley, you know, there's that line from Shirley. That's like, it seems impossible that anybody would do this. That one of us would do this to each other. Then there's this realization. realization and of course we get a Jeff Winger speech. Who's usually the one at this point, to like tells us how we're going to get out of this. Um, that was kind of the best thing about those Winger speeches is they kind of like just told the audience, here's how we're going to move forward <laughs> from this moment. And he gives this great space speech where he's just basically like, who cares? Yeah. I mean, we should just say it's a ghost because honestly, is anybody believing that we like, we obviously love each other so much that we're willing to go this whole day with each other. And so it doesn't that tell you all you need to know about who we are and whether we can trust each other or not. And once they all settle on this, like, scapegoat essentially the scapegoat if you will um to get them out of it then it doesn't matter who took the pen and that's why it's so great when you realize it's the monkey and everything and that came so much later on i mean i think that if i'm i'm remembering this correctly it was way past the writer's draft i think it was like we were walking around the set maybe the week before we shot that episode or maybe just days before and we were walking around and talking about the idea the thing that was in the writer's draft was that there was some uh, breeze from the air conditioner that set off this Rube Goldberg chain of events that basically flung a pen up into the 
uh, into the air vents. And that was what was in the writer's draft, but it was always a placeholder. We were like something here that's explains what happened to the pen, but it doesn't ultimately matter because the audience isn't going to care because they, all they care is that the study group is back together. Hopefully if we've done our job, right. So then I think we were walking around on set and I think that's when Dan had the idea about Annie's boobs and that, that maybe that the monkey had grabbed the pen and it was, but essentially in, in any way, it's a um, deus ex machina. Cause it's like, it, there's no setup for it. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, monkey. So, I mean, we've made a setup for it. Cause we have a moment where the monkey actually did steal the pen earlier yeah. on, but it, but, but breaking the story, the thing that mattered to us was how the study group got over this moment and not what happened mm. to the pen. So that did come a lot later. Yeah. Wow. Um, I have questions about, uh, some particular jokes. Um, you know, because, uh, first of all, um, the, the wiener dog joke, uh, who came up with that? Uh, that was mine in my writer's shop and I am so proud of that yeah. joke. It's so in a hundred percent of my wheelhouse nice. and, and, um, Donald's like actually that joke. And also just the first two lines of the episode are exactly from my writer's draft. And the fact that Troy has the first line of the episode was really exciting because, um, we shot the episode chronologically, um, which you don't usually do for episodes like this, you know, you shoot all the scenes out of order and whatever else, but for something like this, it just made sense to shoot it kind of straight through. So, um, the very first thing we shot was the first scene of the episode. And I remember texting, like Donald was all set up in front of the cameras. And I remember texting him and being like, I can't believe it. Like I've written a line of dialogue that you're about to say on mm. television. And we, I was just sort of fan, like yeah. freaking out. And he wrote back like, Oh my God, I know, you know, and we were just, it was just so special. I really thought that up until that point, someone was going to run into the room, like, and stop everything and be like, she's not a real writer. You can't shoot this, you know? So those lines that were like in, in my writer's draft that somehow found their way. Uh, Cause so little does. Um, somehow found their way into the final draft. I'm like so proud of, especially because that's my first episode. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, where did the let him finish bit come from? Oh, that's, you know what? I was just thinking about that today because I don't, I don't think this is the first episode where they say, let them let him yeah. finish. It's certainly not the last. <laughs> it's not the last. And it became like such a big thing in the writer's yeah. room that we were, we pitch it all the time and only sometimes you would get to use it. So I think that this time was one of those times where I pitched it and we were like, okay, well in this particular situation, it does make yeah. sense because he thinks it's a bad speech, but I, but I don't think it was, I, I certainly didn't come up with it. And I can't remember how it came about, but I loved Let Him Finish. There's also that moment with Chang where I can't remember what episode it is in, but Jeff is trying to argue that Chang should be in the group. And he says one thing that's like really insulting of Chang and Chang's like, let him finish. <laughs> yeah. <I think laughs> Made me laugh every time. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Um, and I, I, I really like it later in uh, Chang's talking in the uh, incest wedding episode, season six, um, Chang's sure. giving a speech and guy yells out, let him finish. Uh, sarcastically. Um, um, <laughs> where did the Abed tracking the, the menstrual cycles thing come from? Is that from? Yeah, that I believe came from Chris McKenna. I remember him coming in in the second season and telling us a story about a documentary he had watched about a kid with autism who had tracked his mother's moods and unknowingly had ended up tracking her periods. Um, and we thought that was so funny as a thing. It was sort of floating around. Like sometimes you pitch these things that aren't stories, but just like interesting things. So it was sort of floating around. And when we were talking about stuff to include in the bottle episode, um, the whole, uh, start of the second act where they're pulling, you know, looking through each other's backpacks. Yeah. That was all supposed to be this, this part it's called um, the uh, road of trials. That's like the, this mm -hmm. part of the story circle that it is, but it's all this should be this stuff where you're uncovering all of this information about um, like, that's basically where stuff is getting dirty. And like we're starting, we see um, Shirley's pregnancy test, which is another Chris McKenna joke, oh, you know, girl, nice. which is so deeply funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, 
and and the fact that Troy has a pillow in his backpack and like you're seeing all these things and so I I I don't know who brought it up but we we were like this is a perfect moment for them to realize that he's been charting their um, menstrual cycles and also we really wanted the Shirley pregnancy storyline to be a part of this because you want just like juicy emotional stuff to kind of talk about within episodes like this sort of secrets to be revealed and all that so we we knew we wanted to talk about the shirley pregnancy stuff that we hadn't touched on much since um halloween and uh so we wanted to bring that up and also there's a thread so the beetlejuice the second instance of beetlejuice is in this episode but we weren't planning the beetlejuice gag in this episode um we didn't start planning that till season. We retroactively planned that in season three, but season, but in this episode, we were planning to, un, that we already knew that Britta and Jeff were having secret sex that they weren't telling the other study group that they weren't telling the study group about, because there's a joke about when she says the Beetlejuice thing, she says, you usually wear your stripy Beetlejuice numbers. And Abed says, what does she mean? Usually. And Jeff just like keeps talking mm. um, over it. But that is like all, laying the groundwork for the fact that they've been sleeping together. And actually in the writer's room, we always thought that Gwenifer was a code name for Britta. Uh. Um, that that's who he was faking a phone call to, to let Britta know in the room that he wasn't gonna, that he was now engaged in this stupid bottle episode. Um, Interesting. But, so that was being planned there, but the Beetlejuice thing was just just sad because Actually, I had to have this really uncomfortable conversation with Joel on one of my first days on set because I needed to find out what type of underwear he was planning on wearing because I needed to write a joke based on the underwear that he was wearing so that Britta would be able to comment on it. Um, And so it was very weird. So uh, let's see. I I have a great question about uh, from Jen from the Community Rewatch podcast, friend of mine. Um, she asked, you know, it's a really dialogue heavy episode, which she loved. Um, wh- who is your favorite uh, character to write for? And um, does, do you have any favorites who really delivered lines well of this episode? Um, I mean, I lo- like the great thing about community and it sounds so like lame to say, but every character was awesome. I mean, that's why the show works. Every character was like a different flavor that you were excited about trying. So, um, I mean, I particularly really loved writing for Britta. Um, I loved writing for Troy. Uh, I, I, I felt like I, but I felt really proud of myself whenever I would get anything Jeff related in. Cause I felt like I, I didn't have that voice down as well. So like, I was always excited when, I sort of succeeded at it. Um, I mean, for this particular episode, I got a few great jokes in for Troy, which I really loved. Like I remember Dan and I writing after the writer's draft, we were rewriting the episode together. Um, there was that whole exchange that he was writing about um, Britta. One of her favorite lines that I deliver is that, that uh, I, that I know from the, for the episode that I love seeing her do is the, um, that when she picks up all her stuff that they've dumped out of the table and she says, welcome to the machine. And she's got the <laughs> panties in her hand and everything. She was so fantastic, Gil. Um, and so he was writing this whole, thing for her which was like the thought police and they're bending you over and forcing forcing you to bend and spread and she was having his fault yeah (laughs) and then i pitched this joke for troy of do they find thoughts in our butts i knew i should have read that book and that's like what i loved about troy was that he was so like innocent in this way but he he was like weirdly that that joke is so perfect because it's like do they find thoughts in our butts and he seems like he's almost almost having this like i don't know homophobic response to it but then he actually like is excited about that like that's <laughs> that's what makes him want to read the book is the idea that you can so anyway i just love writing stuff like that um i mean uh i a lot of the stuff that i i, I also wrote a joke for pierce in this which was the him saying people like you or why it took us so long to get into Vietnam, uh, which I, which I liked. And that made <laughs> yeah. it for my writer's draft. Um, but as far as like stuff within the episode that I, that I didn't. Oh, also one last one. God, this is like, is very self-serving. And no, I have it's to not. say like, it's great. well, no, I have to say though, like, I know that there, there, 
you have to know, and I'm sure everyone says this all the time, but all of these scripts are like no one person's thing. So this episode is not my episode. It's a thing that I thankfully got to put my name on and I got to be on set for, but there's so many great jokes. Like I said, Chris McKenna did the Shirley's pregnancy test. There's so much great stuff that is the stuff that you love that came from other people that isn't me. Um, but that being said, I also wrote the Abed, uh, I can explain. And then, yeah. Oh, I thought you keep shouting over yes. me. I can explain. And I just remember that cause Dan really liked that joke. Um, and so that made it in from the beginning to the end. So, um, that's one I'm a little bit proud of, but the, uh, whole, run that he goes on of the sarcasm the wants to share some words of sarcasm and the best friend medal and all that 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 i didn't write and i think that that is like one of the funniest things uh (laughs) in the episode well i think that's uh, you know when i was talking to hillary um i think that's where i really had my epiphany that you know i want you know part of my quest in doing these uh, these interviews is that i really want to know who wrote these jokes that when i was in a really bad place needed like they got me out of that bad place cuz i just want to like verbally shake your hand and say thank you for for Aww. doing that and and i got to do that with a bunch of these jokes so thank you but I, <laughs> to your point like it's a, a a group effort and you know it's a, it's came up with with hillary it was just kind of like this unknowable calculus to you know, especially at this point, there's no, you know, there's no documentary group that was following you around and caught all of these moments. But, um, I just, no, and there's, and there's a real, like the excitement for me, the real excitement of working on shows like this is not to have one joke that I wrote alone in my apartment, make it to screen. It's those moments when you're like in the writer's room and somebody pitches something and then you pitch like a joke on top of that. And then another one on top of that. And you Mm. feel this, like, like, I remember some episode there was a, where, I, I'm doing my rewatch now for the first time since I worked on the show. So, um, so and it, it's always funny. Like the fans are always so much better at the trivia than the writers are because we remember all the versions of the oh, yeah. episodes and not the ones that ended up on screen. But there's some episode where Jeff finds out he has a locker and he's opening the locker and there's all this stuff inside. Mm-hmm. Is that season three? Um, th- anyway, no, he, I think he, fi- he finds a note from uh, Kim. Is that Kim, the, yes. yeah, I think that's like Kim's five. Down. I think it might be season five. Maybe it's three. Well, I was definitely on it. I was definitely because I because I remember there was this great there was this great run which was like there was a save Garrett party and Jeff is like what's wrong with Garrett and Annie's like nothing we saved him and then Jeff looks over and sees Garrett and goes that saved Garrett and that (laughs) that threesome of like jokes was done in the writers room like I was sitting there when we like kind of came up with that like moment and it it feels like everything you want it to feel like which is like oh my god this is I'm sitting around with a bunch of funny people and we're literally making each other funnier as we sit here. And so that's the stuff that I remember more, I think, than, yeah. I mean, I, I had to actually, cause I knew that, uh, cause people were asking what were my favorite jokes. So I went back and read my writer's draft, which was really difficult to do, but <laughs> <laughs> just to see what was actually in there. Cause it's hard to remember really what mm. made it from the, there to screen. So. Yeah. Interesting. Um, was there a, a conscious decision to put a Pierce in the cast or he was kind of in the cast from the previous, you know, that was his arc, um, from the previous episodes. The Pierce? Pierce. Yeah. In the, oh, in the cast. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like in the cast. Oh no. Community. The cast, I was like, yeah, <laughs> no, in, in, the, in his late cast. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, there was a thought in season two that, that Chevy really liked doing physical comedy. So we were trying to figure out a thing for him to do that would give him some like physical comedy business that he could be doing. Um, And so there was this idea of him being in this chair with full leg casts that we thought was like, that would give him some, some kind of comedy to play. So that was established in, um, in the trampoline episode. And then because mine was after that, um, it just, he was still in the leg cast. So we had to use it. Um, but it actually ended up being a boon because there's that moment where they cut off the cast. And I think that it, it gave us one final place to go to where it was like, they've already stripped naked. How much worse can it get? Like how much more savage can these people be? And then it just gave us that one extra layer where we're like, they're ripping off this man's cast mm. <laughs> because that's how insane they've become. So, um, but yeah, he really loved that, uh, that chair and the straw and like, Oh man, lots of business. Was there someone, I, I, th- I saw a picture, there was someone controlling him from, uh, like a remote control. 
Yeah, it right? made it into the initial episode when it aired. You, there was a brief shot. I don't yeah. know how it got through how many rounds of editing. This is how yeah. tired and stressed everybody was. But you, there was a shot when it first aired where you could see the guy who was controlling it by remote control. Awesome. And then it's since been cut out. I like I watched it on on Hulu, and you can't see it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I just found it on Reddit today. There is a a picture of that. So very very funny. Um, was there uh, a decision on what to put in or is it uh, in like when they open up the cast like was there is that just a part of the the joke writing to oh there's a slim gym and there's you know a remote control Yeah I think I put some of those things into my writer's draft um as far as stuff for them to put in there mm-hmm. um the slim gyms I think was in there because it was in dialogue of are you using slim gyms to scratch your legs um but then other than that I think they just picked some stuff um I don't think there were any remotes even though they said that there were earlier in the episode there were remotes but there were like tongs and like french fries that look like or something yeah. um I think that was the prop department yeah. it's similar similarly the um all the stuff that Annie's boobs has yeah. uh, up they I one of the really fun sort of production meeting type things I got to do for this episode was to go down to the prop department and they had gathered together all of these things from all of the episodes past that we could put in the nest. And I got to like pick and choose which things uh, got to be in Annie's nest. Obviously the pens, but there was like the senior uh, Chang little frog hats, uh, the little from the April fool's episode and things like that, that we wanted to include. Um, and uh so yeah that was really fun because i was just like a community nerd too and i was like oh i get to touch the senior chang hat (laughs) (laughs) um how cute was the uh, puppy parade did you get to be around for the shooting Uh, of that it was so cute i mean it's funny because dan one of the things he also said about the bottle episode from the very beginning was make the best is when you make there another thing that's happening outside of it that like is better so like the comedy being that like we would all rather be doing that thing but we have to do this um and uh so we um we just made it the most obvious thing I feel like, which was the puppy parade, uh, which sounds just really great to everybody. Um, and we couldn't, I couldn't touch any of the puppies because they were so young. That one that Jim Rash is holding in the beginning uh-huh. was so sweet. And like, he was the only one who was allowed to hold it. Cause it's like a very, very young puppy. Um, and then I did go see the puppy parade get filmed. Um, and that was really adorable. Um, it was, uh, we didn't have the voiceover at the time, but it was written. I loved that voiceover where he's like, Oh, this one feels creepy. And then he's like, it's <laughs> 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 uh, great. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, who do you remember who wrote the joke about um, them deserve being less deserving of our love as time goes on? Uh, yeah, I that's partially in my writer's draft, okay. but then it was like cleaned up and made better. Yeah. Um, I I did have the I had the dean. We always knew in the break there were going to be like these dean check ins mm-hmm. before the act breaks before you go to commercial just to kind of like tell you what's happening. Yeah. So I think I wrote like the puppy sized hats and like I just try to think of like what is the best thing possible that they could be missing. Um, so I think I wrote a version of that and then Dan, like yeah. the, the best thing of uh, doing a writer's draft and working on shows like Community was certainly one like that for me. And um, so has Sunny been, been the same where you turn in a writer's draft and it just gets better. Even some of your jokes, they like write slightly better than the way that you had written them. And that's always like really great because obviously it just makes everybody look better. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty amazing. I really appreciate those, uh, those stories um, about the episode. I, I feel like I'm kind of going through um, uh, the, the questions. Were there anything else that stuck out to you? Um, yeah. I mean, the Beetlejuice thing, which people ask yeah. about all the time, like, <clears throat> so how that came about it's I, I don't know if this ever like hurts things to show the sort of the magician secrets but that was not something that was planned from the beginning what happened was in season three we were writing an episode and we put in a line that had beetlejuice in it which i think is just like a go-to reference for dan <laughs> so i don't think he meant to like constantly be referencing it but when we were putting it into the script i as a joke in the writer's room said to him like oh you better be careful because you said beetlejuice on the show twice you, you just be you have to know what's going to happen um, as a joke and he was like no we haven't and I was like yeah you you said it and I remember because I wrote it in the 
it was in the bottle episode and then it was in the first season. I can't remember where now, but at the time I was like intimately familiar with the show and, and so could remember exactly from where. And so then he was like, well, then he came up with the idea to take it out of whatever episode we were putting it in and saving it to Halloween and then putting it in Halloween and then having somebody walk by in the background um, who was in a black and white striped costume because we were not allowed to, for legal reasons, say who that person was. <laughs> Uh, that's really fun. Um, but uh, but so that so it wasn't like three years in the making. Uh-huh. But we did plan, like I said, the the Jeff and Britta um, sleeping together stuff that we knew that from the beginning of the season. That didn't come out till the clip show episode. So hmm. there was definitely stuff that we planned way ahead of time. But there was also stuff, like I said, that just because the writers we were so we were there all the time and we were working so much. We just kind of were so we were constantly regurgitating the show to each other. So some of that stuff we called back simply because we, we constantly knew it. We, we were, we were sort of experiencing this layered meta-ness while (laughs) throughout the thing. So we were constantly referring back to the show. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any other, Oh, the, um, I see a question. How many takes did crystal need to grab that pen? Um, surprisingly few uh the, that's the monkey it's to a grab trained the pen monkey the, so uh... i mean the monkey was so spectacular it not only did it grab the pen like on the second take i think that we needed it to do and it had to grab it sight unseen like yeah we just wanted its little hand to come up and grab it so that was like a specialized thing we needed to do but also then um the final shot where the where crystal like runs out and grabs the that spoon from the pile and then runs back in and has to close the air vent door behind her. I mean, that shot took three takes maybe. And I think we got three good takes. I mean, it was incredible how, how good that we were making jokes on set of like, can, can the monkey play Pierce? Because <laughs> maybe we could just all get home a little earlier every day. I mean, I had this, this is probably super boring and we'll take this, this is probably already too long, but no, I did great. break down the episode based on the story circle. If anybody like cares about that stuff, I don't know if like how much people like getting into that, but yeah. Yeah. Why don't we do it? So tell me about the story circle uh, and how, you know, the Dan Harmon story circle that, well, it's really the uh, Joseph, Campbell. Joseph Campbell story yeah. circle. Um, so it's a simplified version of that. that sort of Dan has, Uh, formulated for himself and we broke every episode of community based on this. It really gave a nice structure um, to to every episode. Uh, Also like, um, I mean, this doesn't happen so much anymore now that we're on streaming where there aren't commercial breaks, but on network TV, certainly at the time we were writing community, you made sure that whatever happened right before you went to commercial was a really interesting thing that would draw the audience back. Cause the thought was, that you wanted them back on the other side of the commercial. It's sort of outdated now because people don't watch really TV like that anymore. But, um, but that was the thinking at the time. So this story circle was broken down based on 22 minutes of television. Um, And the easiest way to think about it, and there's lots of, if you Google this, there's lots of stuff online that's very spelled out. You can find stuff from Channel 101 that's describing this. Mm -hmm. But the basics are that if you were to draw a circle and one was at the top of the circle and five was at the bottom of the circle and three was on the right-hand side and seven on the left and then all the... um, the even numbers dispersed accordingly, that there's this very clear to track progression of every story, um, which I, I can tell you about like using the bottle episode um, as an, as an example. Um, and this is my understanding standing out now. I'll, I'll say I've been many years away from community now and no other show I've worked on uses this structure. I still really like it. I find it really useful. And sometimes when I'm stuck, I will refer back to this to give myself some guidance on like what I'm looking for. But, um, but this was just a very particular style to community. So for what that's worth, here we go. Um, the cold open uh, of the episode always starts 
us in stasis, which is number one. That's where your like hero is in a zone of comfort. Um, so that in the bottle episode is like our study group is at peace. They're like making this project together and they're relatively happy and nothing's going wrong. Right. It's just like another day in the study room. Um, and then the second beat, uh, the second story step is called the call to adventure or sometimes the inciting incident. Um, and that for this episode is that Annie's pen gets stolen. Um, so she really wants everybody to care about that and like look for this pen um there's usually uh something called a refusal of the call which is where the hero like ultimately doesn't want to go on this adventure and so there's a beat where they sort of try to get out of it which for this episode is um jeff and abed saying to annie nobody want nobody cares that much we don't want to do this we don't want to do a bottle episode we don't want to spend our whole time thinking about this pen let's go to everyone going like let's go to the puppy parade we don't want to do this thing but ultimately Annie screams and uh, that makes us realize that there's something kind of like at stake here for her uh, that bleeds not only from the cold open, but like after we go to main titles and we come back, that's still kind of what's being discussed is like how important of a thing is this? And that's where she says, it's not a pen, it's a principle. So that's the sort of call to adventure for the group is like, do we care about any individual members problem? And is this pen because it's a problem for Annie is it a problem for all of us and they're refusing that for a while um, but what starts to happen first through Britta being accused and dumping her bag then she gets incentivized to care about it because now she's sort of seeing Annie's point she's going you're right like um, it is a principle and and principally speaking, someone in this room sat there and let me get guantanamo as she says. <laughs> and I, I, for principal reasons, like would like to know who that is. It's It matters to me now. And so people start getting rolled into this. And ultimately, the people accuse Jeff. And that's when he screams. It's not, um, you know, he calls Guinefer and tells her we're doing a bottle episode. That's the first act break. And that's why it cuts to black there. We go to commercial. And that is... Um, the third point in the circle, which is the crossing the threshold moment. Um, so that's uh, sort of where I guess three o'clock would be on your clock. Um, uh, and uh, that's the moment where you enter a new world. And the new world that we're entering in the bottle episode um, is the study group distrusting each other, basically. They're entering into a world where they're suspecting each other, they're accusing each other, and they're, they go um, into uh, step four, which is the road of trials. This is when, like, the characters are adjusting to their new world. So, But for our purposes of this episode, it's like sort of the investigation portion, where they're ripping into each other's backpacks, and they're trying to, like, they're accusing each other things and secrets are being revealed like um shirley's pregnancy test and abed's menstrual cycle calculator <laughs> and all that stuff is kind of coming out and it's getting like gross and grimy and kind of ugly yeah. and people are being dragged into it and if you follow this on the circle like you see as the the fourth point is the moment where you're leading down to the depth of the circle which is the meeting with the goddess moment it's directly across the circle from the moment of stasis so it should be the point at which your group is the furthest away or, or your hero um, which for us is the group um, is furthest away from like where they started. So in our case, this is where the pen now is a principle. It's like everybody really cares about it. This happens like midway through. Like, it's, it's more like it's like minute 16 or so where Jeff is ripping up the study room carpet and he's going, it's, you know, he's going like, we got to find it. And if, if we don't find it, our kids are going to find it. And everyone is like, really really on board with finding this pen now and then annie is the one that says like guys it's just a pen and they all turn on her and that's this moment that's the meeting with the goddess moment and it's always described what well, dan always described it as a moment of weightlessness or where a character feels like they got what they want but it's not what they bargained for yeah. is this, this moment and that is annie like fully getting what she wanted which is that everyone is way invested in where her pen is but now it's like beyond her control like they they're so much more into it than even she is and she's trying to back out of it but now everybody is like no i'm sorry we we're we're too far into this and there's sort of a feeling that there's no going back that the group is in open conflict now accusing each other they strip each other down they've seen each other naked everything is like exposed and vulnerable and out there which leads us to the sixth beat of the story circle which is the atonement with the father which is kind of like 
some is also related to the all is lost moment mm. sometimes it's described as which is like there's this moment of reckoning where you realize that like you're at your lowest point you know and you so for the bottle episode it's they realize that there's no leaving this room the way that they came into it that that because they put their the trust of the group on the line on this pen and because they didn't find the pen that means there can't be a group going forward and so they kind of all come to terms with the fact that they they desperately kind of at this point want to find the pen because they've put so much on it so that's the the moment where they take uh uh pierce's casts off and there and abed is saying one of my favorite lines which i did not write but um this is how super villains are created you know <laughs> um but it is it's a low moment uh, it's a low moment for all of them um and you can tell that they're not angry kind of towards the end of that moment they're not angry at each other anymore they're kind of sad like mm-hmm. they were hoping that they found this thing so that then the the next beat seven which is um called the return um that's also like basically where you get your apologies you know you get your i'm sorry's and your resolutions and things like that comes in that scene um and that's where we come in from the for the third act and there's sort of that shot of them all they've redressed and they're sitting there and the door is open and nobody's leaving they're just sitting there and they're talking about how sad they are that what's just transpired and they're all kind of saying i wish it was me i I actually i'm no longer saying i didn't do it now i'm saying i wish i did do it because what i've realized is that there's so much more at stake right now and i wish that we like they sort of realized that their the group is falling apart. And so they can't believe it. Um, and they, that's when they start talking about how impossible it is that anybody in their group that they can't believe it. Cause they thought there's nobody in the group that could treat anybody else like this. And that ultimately is the thing that they realize is their way out. Mm-hmm. And that's when, uh, when you cross over into eight, which is this master of both worlds, which is the point at which Jeff says, basically, if we think that it's so impossible that somebody would have done this, to somebody else that we spent this entire day, like going crazy in this room, trying to prove that it, that there wasn't foul play that, um, that means we care about each other so much that it doesn't matter who took this pen because it couldn't have been somebody doing it for terrible reasons. It, it might as well have been a ghost and he gives them that out and they're still looking for an out. Like they don't, they, they're, they've gone through the emotional thing that they're already looking for it. And that was one of the things I remember about learning about the story circle is that seven and eight it's, if you've told your story, right, they should seem like foregone conclusions almost like not new stuff happening, but it's like seven is always this moment where the hero who like, if it's a martial arts movie, it's like whatever in step four, he learned from his sensei that was like the secret move to use. If you ever got into a, a lot of trouble, then in, in six, in seven, when he gets into a lot of trouble, then he uses that move and he gets out of it. It's yeah. like, it should be that you're using stuff that you already established that you had earlier but you're just now realizing you had it and jeff's speeches are so good for that because they sort of recontextualize stuff for the audience and go that thing that you thought was a, a downside is actually an upside for these reasons that i'll explain to you and so once he gives them this out of a ghost they're all really ready to get on board with that so they all mutually agree that that's probably the thing that happened and then they get to leave which i have to say one of my favorite moments of the entire episode is the dean delivering that line um, non-miraculous <laughs> when Abed Abed yeah. says you non-miraculous son, son of a bitch, bitch. and yeah. oh Jim Rash so funny non-miraculous he's like really hurt yeah. by that Abed, um, <laughs> Abed. Yeah. and then the and then the monkey reveal it is just it's not even a part of the story circle really it's just like a oh in case you care here you yeah. go but again that, that so that's how we would break down the story for for dan when we were pitching it to him those were the steps that we would go through and we would say this is this and break it down like really simply so i, I find that structure very useful um to get a basics of your story across and then obviously you need to like put that down and then step away from it and figure out like you don't want to have the audience feel like you're just going through those motions so um hopefully when you're watching the episode, you didn't feel like we were just ticking off these story steps, but no, it feels so natural. That's an awesome episode. And and thank you for going through that. Uh, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who really enjoyed um, uh, just the in-depth nature of, of, 
going through that. So thank you. Um, oh, of course. Uh, let's uh, go a few uh, levels higher then, because uh, I, I I just wanted to to talk briefly about Britta, um, because you know I have a, I have this theory about you know the changing of guard with with different writers and the changeover that you guys had, and I, I probably should I should have said this earlier when we were talking about it, but you know Britta, Britta I think more than any other character gets talked about in. Uh, at least in our Discord channel and in different places that I see, she's both loved and like, you know, she, there's even a moment in, in I think season five or so that uh, Jeff says that you were a lot smarter when I first met you. <laughs> and um, really great line. And, and I defend Britta is that, you know, she was this really guarded person and that guardedness like uh, made her feel like a certain thing, uh, but it was really this facade and this is who she really be- is. And, but when it, you know you how do you change you know guards basically how do you take a character that's been written a certain way and then um move her you know along it you know you basically were there for season two three four how, how do you uh um deal with with differences of a character well i think that it's it's foolhardy to think that the character you wrote in the pilot is going to be the character that ultimately services the show the best because what you're looking for and what ultimately what leads to the, the 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 longest running shows is a chemistry within a cast and you can't predict that so you you cast the way that you cast and you hope that these people work well together and then if you're smart you adjust the characters to fit the cast and and not the opposite way around mm-hmm. so i think that um part of that was that they had a very specific idea of who Britta was. Uh, I'm sure Dan did going into it. And then he uh, cast Gillian Jacobs, um, who is very funny, and, but also very goofy and silly and kind of lovably the worst. And you, <laughs> and you, and I don't know why, but that's just the energy that she brought. And we all fell in love with it. And we just kept wanting to write to it. But also, and she talked about this on, on the podcast when, when you talked to Hillary, like hiring people like Hillary and having them come in and say to Dan, you know, you think that this woman is this way, but, but actually I know women like this. And I can tell you from a woman's perspective that women don't like women like this. And so she wouldn't be popular. She would, she might say that she was popular, but that that's not the reality of what her situation would be. So a smart showrunner um, is open to shifting with those things. I know audiences like really have a hard time with that because they want characters to stay the same. I think that's why people love television is because nothing changes really. Like yeah. maybe there's minuscule changes in characters, but when you, when you turn on your television, you want to see the people that you remember that you, that, that they're the same people, the characters you like visiting. So TV audiences have more of a problem, I think, with change than TV creators do because we we know the reality is y- you, these are people and they're funny in a particular way and you want to write towards that. I remember Dan saying, for instance, that the first season of the show, he thought Troy and Pierce were going to be like a real duo, that those two were yeah. going to have like lots of storylines together. And then nobody predicted Troy and Abed. I mean, that just happened because hmm. Danny Pudi and Donald Glover loved each other. So... Um, so I think Britta was, was like that. Troy was like that too. I mean, the first, in the pilot, he's like all about football and like, you know, the first season he's like a jock and then he becomes a complete nerd over the course of the show. Um, and that's just because that felt more genuine. It also, I think felt like, as you said, like characters letting their guards down and, and part of that was story and part of that was just us letting the actors shine through more in the way that they were naturally. So including stuff like Donald being a Jehovah's witness or like things from their real lives that felt honest and that felt like that deepened the character. And so um, I think Britta in it was a great example of that. We, we found who she was over the course of the show. I was in my rewatch. I remember seeing the first episode where they said, you are the worst. And I was like, Oh man, I can't believe that was ever not a thing on, <laughs> on community. Yeah. Cause it felt like such a thing for us. And it made you love her. You know, people constantly saying that she was the worst made you love her even more because you knew she wasn't. And you felt like you wanted to stick up for her. You know, I think as a viewer, that's the reaction you would have. Well, some people, but, 
you know, ensembles are always polarizing. People have their favorite characters. Mm -hmm. They don't like other characters. That's kind of the point of it is like, you know, it's supposed to be like a family and in your family, you have people you love and people you can't stand, but they're all there and they're all going to be there every week. So get over it. Yeah. I wanted to uh, ask you about what do you think about uh, the prospects of a movie? Well, isn't this the million dollar question? Um, I I don't have any info about the movie. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say that that means it's not happening. It's just not been brought to my attention. Yeah. Um, I, I want to see it. Yeah. I'm like, I, I need it to happen. Um, I imagine that it will. It's a weird time in Hollywood right now for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, projects aren't really getting going. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it's got to happen. Like it, but that's another crazy thing about community is like the fact that we all feel like there needs to be a movie because six seasons in a movie where six seasons in a movie was just a dumb line that we wrote about the cape (laughs) in one episode. We wrote wrote it as a joke about a show that we were making fun of, by the way, on our own network, which was so stupid at the time we were like making jokes about NBC shows on NBC. But regardless, we, we just, we just found it so funny, the Cape and that six scenes in a movie. And then that became this like rallying cry. I mean, that's the sort of stuff you just can never predict. like what people pick up on and what they decide that they love. Um, but I don't really care because anything, and this is my whole feeling about signing on to season four, anything that gets me more community I'm on board with. I, I just want more of it. I want it to keep existing. That's why I love things like this. I love that it's going on Netflix and it's giving people a reason to like re binge it. I think it's just like such a special show and, and everyone that was a part of it, it was such a, so special for all of us. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I will buy a ticket. That's all I can say about it. Uh yeah yeah I agree me me too I will buy uh, several tickets if if it if it uh, if I can get the movie sooner uh, I don't know um, absolutely yeah I uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and um but I just want to talk a little bit then um about uh, what you're doing now because um I've been a fan of uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia and uh, as I said I, I'm not too far from there and so i get like a lot of you know the, the rob uh who rob is is uh you know the philly guy uh charlie day the, those guys i i just i got the vibe very quickly uh from watching that show I've, and i think i've made it through uh multiple rewatches and uh, it's another <laughs> great show um but i'd love to talk to you about uh, mythic quest because um I actually got to watch that, uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. It, it had all the the tones of, um, the, they had this moment, uh, kind of at the apex of, of the story. Uh, I don't know if it was, it's, uh, 0.5 0.5 on the on the story arc or 0.6 but uh <laughs> but they had this moment where that ju- it just felt like um uh, this community moment where you had these the dialogue the dialogue it, it felt like oh where they're all talking to the, the hr they're having the yes HR they're having meeting. the hr yeah. meeting um yeah. and it just felt like the study room in all the best ways and um and then you have this uh, i don't want to give too much away but you have this uh, new assistant who um uh, is is the new the assistant like a um a proxy for for all the writers in the world <laughs> if because she's just writing these notes and 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 it's so time they're so funny and yeah, well uh, yeah. so that's jesse ennis who's so amazing and that character didn't exist in the original pilot but she auditioned for an, a few of the other characters and she's just so funny and like weirdly intense but looks so nice and we yeah. just love like there's just something about her energy that we were like this is so funny and so we invented a character for her on the show um which is refers back to that thing i was saying earlier about being like malleable enough to be like okay well the show is whatever is best for the cast ultimately to work off one another so once we found out how funny it was to have her be a part of that and she really helped us establish david's character is played by david hornsby that plays yeah. cricket on um it's always sunny um he's he's always, like his character was this executive producer who's supposed to be the boss but nobody pays attention to him and the best way to kind of showcase that character very simply is to give him an assistant who also doesn't like <laughs> yes. him or pay attention to him yeah. and so uh that sort of that became her role on the show and she's but it's but i thank you for so 
much for what you said. And I, and that's what I really like. That's when I was like, Oh, I think we might have something here was in that scene watching that be filmed as well, because it did feel like a study room scene and that there's nothing else going around on, but these people sitting and talking with each other and you're still laughing and you're still having a good time and you're engaged, which for an ensemble workplace comedy is your bread and butter. Like those are the scenes you're going to need. So that's when we really realized like, oh, this is really exciting. And, and I think we've found some good chemistry and also like having to get Danny Pudi on the show was like, so amazing full circle moment to be working with him again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I recommend everyone, uh, community fans watch the show. If you love Megan's writing, if you love Danny Pudi, if you love great comedy and, um, I'll just say, uh, Megan Gans, thanks for being on six seasons in a podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm like so glad that I got to leave my house mentally for the amount of time that it took to do this podcast. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs>